drone missiles go boom. So, remind me, how does this look? So look, you, you steal oil, you make nitrates, you nitrate oil to make more explosives to steal more oil. Yes. My goodness. Hi! Hi! He has arrived. I was the first. I was here before him for the first time ever. I'm so proud of myself. Well, yeah. I'm proud of him too. Uh, I think um, I that was the worst conversation I've ever sort of uh, jumped into uh, when I was beginning one of these streams. <laughs> so thank you for that. Everyone was learning about how to make high explosives from fertilizer, which is just just fantastic, just what we want. And this is exactly the reason why I don't live stream these on the main channel. Uh, <laughs> I still haven't forgiven you for saying that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like I said I didn't understand something. His uh, Q and A is getting demonetized. I wish I was kidding, but I actually have like a PDF open that shows you how to make no, all right, those that, things. I'm very, I would for you. I, I, I'm very, I'm very, very proud of you, and uh, yeah, definitely I was studying. Okay. <laughs> well. <laughs> To all of you that were fortunate enough to join the live stream today, you're all on a list now, so um, congratulations, I suppose. Uh, outside of that, um, I hope you guys are all staying safe and well uh, in the continued craziness around the world. Uh, I suppose some positive lights is that in a lot of countries it does seem to be uh, improving. So a lot of you guys from Europe, I think that's something that we've kind of realised. And uh, for you guys in America, well, I mean, uh, all I can sort of stay is stay safe out there, guys. Uh, and best of luck, but you know, obviously stay inside if you can. Be be safe. Wash your hands. You know, I know it's Easter coming up as well, but uh, keep the uh, all that kind of stuff to a to a minimum. I don't know. Enjoy it. Enjoy it later. Postpone Easter if you need to. Alrighty. But with that out of the way, um, we're here to to have fun and answer questions uh, about the new video, which I hope you guys found interesting or engaging or. Uh, you know, even if it was something that you didn't necessarily agree with, which I hope is at least some of you, because uh, it was one of those things where it's a bit more of a controversial topic. Uh, and, you know, if anything else, uh, I guess we'll sort of get into it. Now, standard format is Captain Locke will um, paste a sort of list of topics that we'll sort of go over one by one. Uh, he's very diligent about doing that. Now, for the first sort of half hour or so of the Q&A session, we'll try and stay on topic as much as possible. We'll try and look yeah. at these points. Uh, but inevitably, of course, it does, uh, yeah, it does always get derailed by, I don't know, some Australian or someone talking about something. Uh, but that's completely or, fine. Or people rehashing the same question uh, in a different way. Uh, people joining late and then asking uh, where um, questions that we've already answered uh, and then May I ask a quick unrelated, unrelated question? That's fine. And oh boy. Yeah, it, it, uh, it has started. <laughs> After a good start. Okay, the video you did where you talked about how a briefcase of a million dollars isn't worth anything on a desert island, and then you actually found stock footage of a man on a island. Can you tell me about that? Where did you find it? Uh, all of my stock footage, my lovely, lovely uh, reserve of stock footage that everyone sort of likes to point out so much is all from Storyblocks. Were you proud when you actually found the stock footage of the man on the island? Uh, well, 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 how it actually happened is I found the stock footage and then I created a script around it. Oh, I see. <laughs> 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 Come on, That's God. hilarious, actually. I'm going to have to write a script go. and create a video about something. i gotta, I got I to gotta work this into a video somehow. Maybe, maybe for April Fool's. I, I mean, there's not a lot to work with on Storyblocks, so you gotta, you, you, you kind of have to do that sometimes. And the conversation already derailed, I'm so sorry. Ah, Storyblocks so, um, is pretty good. 
in 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 general, uh, I'd like to ask about um, the economics of war from the vantage point of like a middle power. Um, what necessary benefits would a country like I don't know the UAE or Hungary or Romania or uh, Georgia have out uh, to developing their own domestic industry rather than just buying from one of the big players. And and you're saying because they have oil wealth, they can afford to do so. Well, not just because they have oil wealth, but like what is, what, what could be the motivation to develop their own domestic industry? Right. Um, That's a very, very big picture question. And it's some of those things that sort of almost taken for granted that, Oh yeah, develop your own industry and it's good. Um, but I, I mean, the UAE is, oh, and the UAE is developing their own domestic industry. Yeah. So if you really take a step back uh, and, and quite like an extrospective, extra, extrospective approach to, um, to what you're looking at there, the reason is because it adds value. So if you can have an industry that adds value to, to whatever the throughputs are, so let's say you're having an, 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 like a, an industrial uh, industry, like a manufacturing industry, um, that's fine. So you take raw materials and you add value to them through the uh, manufacturing process. Uh, or if you have a service-based economy, uh, you take in services and you add value by providing you know, uh, intelligence or some kind of organization or something like that that's then exported to other economies. If you're a tourism-based uh, economy, okay, you add value through improving the lives of the people that come in and visit your country. So if in a sense, you, you sort of take something that has um, less value, you do something to it in your country that adds value, and that's how you genuinely create wealth long-term. Uh, and if you do that, and you have an industry that's wide enough, you can employ lots and lots of people, which means that the citizens of your country share in the wealth of that country, uh, which is you know, a really, really positive thing, of course. It means that they can improve their own quality of life. Uh, the country itself gets to benefit from that, either directly through national industries or indirectly through taxation. Uh, and you get to improve you know, things like roads, infrastructure, the individuals in the economy are wealthier, so they can potentially import things like that. Uh, and you get to, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the ultimate sort of goal of a society, of an economy, is to improve the lives of the citizens, the participants in that economy. So that's why you want your local industry. Now, when we look right. at oil... So outside of the, <clears throat> excuse me, so outside of the economics of scale that might proclivate, proclivate pro, pro, you know what I'm trying to get at, that might, that might allow for a larger power to engage, it's, it's basically the same thing on a smaller scale for... Uh, smaller nations right it's, it's a yeah and, and it's obviously something that you need to toss up so realistically i mean in a perfect world it would be a lot more efficient for us to just say hey you china you're in charge of building everything you singapore you're in charge of doing all the banking you australia you're on barbecue duty you america i, I don't know like uh, you, you you do this or that you make v8 muscle cars uh and you sort of very specifically uh, allocate one specific task to every single um, country, and they just do that, and that's where you get sort of uh, comparative advantage, which right. is, which is yeah. Which, when you have economies of scale, if you focus on one thing, you tend to do it pretty well. But of course, the disadvantages yeah. of that is you don't get to add value in the way that we sort of saw. Uh, and the other thing as well is you kind of lose a lot of that flexibility. Like, I mean, let's say if, if I don't know, heaven forbid, let's say some kind of massive virus uh, hits China and that's the world's manufacturing center for everything, well, then you're fucked. 
Um, so, I mean, you kind of want some kind of redundancy and you kind of want some level of self-sufficiency. I don't know, if you go to war with a country that's responsible for growing all of the food in the world, well, I mean, that's not good either, right? You're going you're gonna to really find yourself in a tough, a tough spot. Uh, and so a lot of countries have that. So they have that, that, that bit of liberty, I suppose. They kind of are the masters of their own destiny in a sense. And obviously smaller countries are much more dependent on their neighbours and things of that nature. But uh, larger economies, they do want some level of self-sufficiency. The United States, for example, if you cut them off from the outside world tomorrow, um, like they may very well have done to them because they're, you know, sort of uh, plague central at the moment, they would kind of be all right. You know, they have farming, they have their own oil industry, they have their own finance sector, they have their own manufacturing. They could, they could probably get it done. Uh, if you do it to a country like Liechtenstein or Monaco or, uh, you know, even something a little bit larger, like let's say, I don't know, Switzerland, uh, they probably wouldn't be, they probably would not fare as well. But it's a good question. Uh, a little bit off topic, but a good question. I, I like that. Now, How much would enough? Sorry, go ahead. How much would an iPhone cost if it had to be completely manufactured inside the States? Uh, well, it's, yeah, sure it it's anybody's it's guess, you know, people, people sort of say something along that. Well, I mean, if it was something where we were entirely tooled to, to make something inside the United States and we had, you know, the agglomeration, uh, that we had the component manufacturing and all that sort of stuff to do it, uh, there are a lot of people that say oh, it was cost something like $11,000. Uh, which simply isn't true. I mean, we have calculators yes. and stuff like that that are made uh, inside the USA that, you know, obviously are a little bit less advanced, um, but they don't cost, you know, as much as an iPhone. So that, that scale. Uh, what you sort of see when you see iPads that would cost $23,000 if they were produced within the, uh, the United States is assuming that a lot of the component manufacturers are still abroad. Um, and not taking advantage of like, you know, comparative advantage and supply lines and stuff like that. If you pulled everything inside the United States, uh, they could do it. It would be a lot more expensive than doing it in China, but it would be, you know, maybe 50% more expensive, not to 20 times more expensive. It's that's, Do they uh, actually have all the raw materials, like lithium or something? Yeah, so lithium is primarily mined in South America, uh, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, and it's the, just one of those things. Congo, and also yeah. Australia, to some extent. Okay, well, there you go. So, yeah, look, I mean, I'm sure America could probably find some raw materials. It's a very, very large landmass. Uh, but again, I, there are just I more plentiful deposits everywhere. I think they have lithium in Texas. Yeah, that sounds about right. They have everything in Texas. Anyway, um, <laughs> good question, but I do want to try and at least start on topic. So we all see this sort of big kind of uh, general talking points that we kind of want to start with. Um, and I suppose I will kick it off by sort of putting it to you guys. What did you think uh, of national defence where um, effectively it's kind of a, a giant welfare system? I thought this would probably be one of the more controversial uh, subjects. Do you guys agree, disagree? Do you think it's sort of a, you know, a facile or irrelevant argument? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I really want to hear from like a it... patriotic American or something. I, I think it's a good way to explain the army in peacetime. Yeah. No home. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. Uh, specifically in peacetime, of course, because uh, war, which is you know uh, pretty few and far between uh, for America, I suppose, as a, as a nation. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially when we're not necessarily sort of fighting a large, um, you know, a large enemy that requires lots and lots of personnel. Yeah, you probably would agree that uh, you know, especially countries like America have more personnel enlisted than they probably need to stay effective. 
Um, well, um, in Germany and other countries like Germany, I think it's very depending on which country you're looking at when you're talking about the military. And um, in Germany, I think welfare isn't that much of a deal for the military, but um, crisis management would be, for example, when uh, we had um, flood water down um, some rivers and there was only the military and some uh, other forces capable of handling that okay like, that's so, a good one yeah oh. um i suppose the military um, doesn't it, yeah, go ahead sorry someone's saying um oh yeah. um, i was just gonna this is kind of semi-tangential but i think important is that we have to um look at the fact that like when you when militaries spend in foreign countries that they, that those that they spend the, in the currency which they have like dollar for example u.s in military bases spends in dollars and those are necessary and those can be very important for international trade because that allows for them to build up reserves of foreign currencies to then trade with with the US. Yeah. Which I think is also, which I think is a huge aspect. For and also like and also like military can actually make other countries dependent because they import American technology, American planes, American fucking infrastructure, and you need people with American experts to actually maintain that shit. Like I think that's a huge part of like the international system. Right, so you're saying um, that, like, if, if there's a, a base in a foreign country, like, let's say uh, Japan. Japan has a large military, American military bases. You're saying that the presence of American military there, spending American money um, and, you know, utilising, you know, American systems, they kind of almost have to, to accommodate to uh, America's uh, whim, in a sense, because they've got to facilitate the, these, uh, these institutions. Well, like, well, like for example, like in the Marshall Plan, like a big part of the Marshall Plan was them spending money outside the U.S. Like, spend it was the way that they got money to the dollars to this to like Europe was through military spending. Like, and you can see this in like the graph I posted in VC. Yeah, like you can see that. Like, yeah, and pretty much so. Yeah, like the military is a huge part of like international like um, the dollar being a reserve currency. Uh huh. Okay. Sorry. That's that's, a, that's an interesting uh, argument that uh, you know you sort of need it um, to to sort of get dollars out there. There, there wouldn't be sort of another way uh, of doing it, but right because because uh, everyone's running trade deficits with America at the time, so you need to find a way. But if you want them to buy American goods, they need Amer they need dollars. Yeah, and then okay, so that was that was probably back in the day, uh, and that was sort of immediately following World War Two when we sort of the Marshall Plan or the reconstruction of Japan. Uh, and the Marshall Plan was uh, certainly something that had a lot of economic uh, economic sort of uh, rationale behind it in the sense that they wanted to build these countries up because they kind of wanted to stop communism. Um, you know, and wealthy countries are probably less likely to sort of start a socialist revolution. And they, of course, you know, wanted to cement themselves as, as world power. Um, you know, this is when Bretton Woods was, was happening and sort of, you know, the United Nations was being sort of formed. So it was a time where potentially that military spending did help cement themselves as the de facto world leader. Uh, now, I made mention of that, um, in a sense, uh, in the video, that, yeah, they, they were kind of lucky in a sense that they kind of had that. Uh, and maybe that military spending post, uh, you know, the war was helpful. Um, but I could see that. Now, what would you sort of say today where, um, you now of course, we're running, well, America is running a huge trade deficit. Uh, would you say it's still as important? Um, well, I mean, like, generally, I think it's important because it keeps them, like, in, like entangled in the U.S. economy because of the ex 
because you need because you need people with like for example if i buy a plane from boeing i'll probably need to have someone with boeing with like special boeing certifications to maintain their fucking super complicated planes therefore you're kind of bound to american experts like the right. maintenance so if someone if someone buys uh yeah okay so I can, I can get on board with that so let's let's explore it so uh like joint military expenditures like things like the joint strike fighter program or something like that uh where of course it's you know effectively originated in american countries but it's going to benefit um you know lots and lots of nations that have effectively bought in on the program and you're saying that yep if we do that um you know it keeps these countries beholden to us economically because at the end of the day um, it is, you know, Lockheed Martin that owns this and Lockheed Martin's an American company. So we're effectively guaranteeing that we're going to have, um, you know, some exports in the, in the fact of, uh, you know, technical sort of knowledge and parts and all that sort of stuff for at least the next sort of 25 years. Is that, is that sort of the argument? Because I could get on board with that. I could say that um, I don't know if that's necessarily so much about military spending as it is sort of military R&T, um, but it's an interesting argument. Yeah, no, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm against that system, but, like, I think it's kind of, like, necessary to understand that in the context of, like, understanding why people spend and military spend. It's not just for national security purposes. It's also for recycling of, like, money throughout the world. I Especially in, like, like I think that's what China is doing a lot right now, too. Like, when they spend, mil when they have, like, when they're doing their pearl of, um, the their, um, chain of pearls, they're also... They're investing a lot of money in those regions, and those, and that allows, and because they a lot of times they invest in yen because that's what they have on on reserve, they can go I mean, buy right. goods. Hmm. Like I think that's a big part of how like they're doing imperialism in in Africa right now. Mister, I wouldn't call what China is doing imperialism. Um, if if I may, just give it. Do you mind? Oh, sure, of course. No, right. I'm, I'm asking. Uh, so, so just just a heads up. We've kind of moved extremely off topic. Um, yeah, I'm trying to. Oh, where's EE? I'm here. Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can I ask something about uh, war and immigration? I, I think you didn't open the topic about immigration in the video. So I'm, I'm not saying about the immigration about the home country that's been in war, but I'm understanding in the view of. Uh, people that immigrate to another country that can develop the economy for the other country. Uh, so, sorry, sorry the, the, the relationship between war and immigration, so you're saying, you know, people uh, you know, leave, like, yes. uh, war-torn countries, or? No one did like. Yes, but they leave their home country. I don't, I don't, I, I'm not talking about the the economy of the home country i'm talking about the economy about the country that whom immigrant uh, immigration uh, migrated into i uh, apologize i don't know if i'm i'm misunderstanding the question so uh war as it relates to immigration i mean i do wouldn't imagine that it's a huge factor i mean of course um you know wars do do cause uh, immigration people sort of flee war-torn countries to move to sort of more peaceful countries or um, you know, there there is opportunity for people to join and, and move to countries if they join their military and stuff like that. Um, I, I I don't quite understand the question, but I'm happy to circle back to it. Like for example, like for example, what happened in uh, Syria and moving on to European Union, but not in the the way that actually happened. And I like it. I want your opinion on it. Like for how can it contribute to the economy of the 
the safer country. Uh, so how would it contribute to the economy of, let's say, Syria in this example? Not Syria, the, the countries that is immigrated into. Right, okay. Yeah, so so uh, let's say there's a war-torn country, um, there is, you know, people that flee that country and move to, let's say, something like the European Union, which, of course, we sort of saw um, with the civil unrest yeah, sort of in the earlier half of sort of the, the decade just passed. Uh, and that is for, um, yeah, look, again, I, I don't necessarily understand the question. No, normally skilled immigration is a positive effect on the economy because people bring money and stuff like that over with them. Uh, unskilled immigration, especially immigration of, um, you know, people that aren't wealthy and aren't bringing any wealth with them, um, sort of has a neutral effect on the economy. Uh, of course, it, you know, potentially bring sort of new uh, workers into a, a, the economic mix, which uh, is normally okay as long as they're able to uh, to work. Uh, but sometimes it can be sort of, it's less beneficial than bringing in skilled workers. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it's not a major thing. I think it, it, it has more to do with people. It's more of a sociological issue in the sense that, uh, I don't know, people get very up in arms about asylum seekers and stuff like that. It, it's not, the effect on the economy is not huge. It's if people from uh, war-torn countries move to European Union, where unemployment is very low, then that potentially has a, a bad effect on the European Union. Right, and that's assuming uh -huh. that they... I'm they, laughing, but that, actually I'm crying. ...that they don't find jobs and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, uh, again, look, there's lots of heat, you know, sort of one way or the other, and it's such a hot-button issue that all, you know, you know, asylum seekers and stuff like that, they come over here and oh, they take our jobs and... Uh, and obviously, I don't want to get into any of that. That's um, something that was an extremely hot button issue. Uh, as, it, as it relates to war and its relationship to the economy, I think we're really looking for any excuse to talk about this. So uh, okay. it, doesn't, it, it doesn't make any difference. There we go. I mean, okay. it, it's very, very What about minimal. the scientists itself? Like, for example, I'm, I, I listened to someone who said that uh, a lot of German scientists moved to America. So that's why there is uh, a lot of uh, scientists German science that actually moved to America that helped America and the economy. But the yeah. science, it helped the German when they collected the scientists at the first. Like, yeah. So uh, obviously, skilled immigration uh, is going to have a very positive effect. And and look, obviously, America was very very lucky after let's say the end of World War Two. Uh, it got to sort of collect a lot of German scientists that worked very very heavily on uh, you know things like. NASA and the moon landing program, you know, Werner von Braun and, and all of those sort of, uh, and a lot of his team uh, contributed quite heavily. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know if that's necessarily sort of uh, the, the direct result of war per se, but it is something that kind of leads us on pretty well and just to kind of try and get us back onto topic, uh, which is how it relates to technology. So a lot of these sort of driving forces weren't, um, you know, weren't, weren't going to be made possible if it wasn't for, for things like war. And I suppose uh, rocketry and um, the moon landing and all that sort of stuff is a pretty good discussion to have because it's probably fair to say uh, that if it wasn't for the developments of things like missiles to be used as, you know, well, what originated with V2 rockets and then moved on to intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, we may very well not have, you know, a, you know, a moon program or, uh, sorry, a space program or satellites or, or things that we sort of take advantage of today and sort of take for granted. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? And 
again, I'm going to move it off this this immigration thing because I think realistically a lot of people are just looking for any excuse to say that um, brown people bad. No, yeah. I think, okay, so I think what he's actually referring to, I'm not going to bring it back to the immigration thing, but a little while back, Syria was having uh, this huge civil war, and I think about 2 million people crossed uh, from Turkey all the way into Europe. And there was a huge issue at the time because there were 2 million people, but these people, a portion of them were actually really high-skilled labor. And I think uh, a lot of the countries in Europe ended up hiring and uh, picking out very high-skilled labor, and that could have actually benefited certain economies in Europe that have been experiencing brain drain. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I mean, skilled skilled migration uh, is incredibly beneficial to an economy. Uh, that's all I'll say. Yeah, but, uh, but this was caused by a, by a war, yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, here we go. I mean, maybe we can Google that as a positive, uh, a positive thing. But anyway, uh, we're on to technology. We're on to technology, and again, that's the last we're going to hear about it. Anything anybody else that brings it up is just yeah. Get muted. Let's put, let's, we're coming we're back put, to we're, the technology. We're putting, we're putting, it, so that's, we're putting a pin in it. I'm sorry, guys. So I just yeah, have to yeah. control the conversation Thank somewhat you. there. All right, so I'll pick up the uh, the technological advancement. Um, I asked a question about uh, not cracking, uh, not without cracking some eggs. So this kind of refers to the idea that. Well, you kind of you mentioned that uh, war drives technological advancement, and uh, in the video you kind of say that no, it, it, not necessarily. But here on the live stream, you know, you just kind of pointed out the development of, of planes and rocketry, um, and then our space uh, programs were kind of funded out of uh, the need for better technology for war. Uh, so, what is uh, do you have a so e do you have a particular stance or because I'm in the ballpark of it's it's kind of a both. Yeah, so uh, very very good, and you've called me out on this, which I like. So, my stance is is this, and it's something that's potentially a little bit confusing to follow. Yes, there are developments that come from war. Um, so things like a lot of transportation that we take for granted, things like planes, uh, certainly space, uh, and you know some of these more advanced sort of systems, jet engines, for example, oh God, who is that? Um, would not be possible without you know, military-driven advancements. And there are other things that sort of trickle down from uh, military research and development that have benefited our lives greatly. Now, the argument that I make so I'm just going to have to mute you, Power Hungry Panda. No freaking live microphones on the server. It's, it's so annoying. Um, now, the argument that I make is that let's say we do live in a perfect world and it's something where we don't have to sort of spend money on, on keeping up to speed with the latest and greatest in blowing each other up. We could redirect a lot of that research and development money into developing things that are genuinely going to add uh, value directly to consumers. So instead of making rockets, hey, maybe we wouldn't have a space program, um, but who knows? Maybe we would have more advanced medicine. Maybe we would go without, um, you know, missiles or jet engines, but perhaps we would have, um, you know, a cure for cancer. So something that, you know, we're trading off a lot of these things that are obviously directly sort of uh, trickled down from the military, but uh, instead of, you know, sort of, investing in the things that are ultimately designed to kill one another, uh, we would have instead divested that into stuff that is better to actually genuinely improve the lives of consumers. And that's the generally problem, the case. There, there's no reason to think that uh, we wouldn't have developed uh, ro rockets for putting satellites into space exactly. just because the military happened to develop it. 
that's exactly yeah. true as well. It, it's um, typical. Uh, this is a typical scene versus unseen problem, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly I right. Yeah. yeah, and and look, great point. I, I'm normally one of a, one of those optimists. I like to believe in the sort of development of people. Now, I would sort of still argue that it's probably accelerated the pro process. Um, you know, the drive to have ballistic missiles and, hey, you know, these look pretty cool at, you know, shooting London, that maybe we could shoot it into space and, and all that sort of stuff. A lot of the funding for these extremely expensive endeavours, um, you know, does kind of come down to the level of military budgets. But, hey, you know, you're probably right. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I, don't, I don't see, like, that. that's not logical to me. Like, how does it make sense that the fact that we spent a bunch of money on building bombs, that we've spent this money on we can't spend those resources and like both human resources but also physical resources now we can't put those towards other ends and, and so I, I don't see why why you you argue that the, the fact that that we developed the rockets through the military accelerated it it just we wasted a bunch of resources how how does that accelerate anything that's a great well it, it could have it may be they wouldn't maybe have but there's no way to we, well, we just we just talked about the unseen it, versus seen you know it, it, well, well look i mean i'm pretty likely that it actually that it actually set us back well here i'm gonna i'm gonna argue against my own point because for the most part uh, again i agree with you i i think i'm a huge optimist in the development of humankind um and and their ability to endeavor things but um, let's let's run a, a basic thought experiment and um we can agree to disagree as we often um, do matthias but let me talk. Uh, let me sort of let me sort of put this out. So let's say you're a, a government in the 1950s. Space travel, World War II never happened. Uh, we don't know what a V2 rocket is or anything like that. Uh, and a scientist comes up to you and says, "I want to develop a rocket." Um, you know, as a government, you're going to be like, "Okay, cool," but you know, I've got a population to feed. I've got a you know jobs to create. I don't really see how basically building a giant thing that sort of fires away uh, is really going to benefit my society. Um, well, okay, well, I'm, I'm not sure. Now maybe I'll go to private industry. Hey, private industry, um, invest into this thing that I'm developing. It, it's called the V2 rocket. Um, okay, cool. Why would I invest into it? Well, we kind of hope that, you know, this one doesn't go into space just yet, but if we, you know, spend hundreds of billions of dollars and decades of research in developing this, okay, maybe one day, uh, we'll be able to launch satellites into space that will give us amazing things like global positioning systems, instant communication across the world, and, you know, all of this kind of stuff that we take for granted today. And they would go, okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds like a really shitty investment. Uh, I'm not going to give you that money because I don't have any genuine need for that. Now, the second scenario is, of course, one where we did have war, um, let's say, Oh, okay. Well, the genuine need for it is we need some way to to bomb London. This V two is a really good way of doing it. Oh, but you know, it's nice sneaky side effect is that it's actually really good for launching shit into space. That's awesome. Uh, and let's keep on developing it. Most uh, early missiles, or most early, sorry, most early sort of spacecraft were basically refitted intercontinental ballistic missiles. So it's what gave the impetus for that initial huge wave of funding. Now. I still agree with you that I think eventually humankind would have developed a space program, but it would have been slower because we didn't have the genuine need for it up front. It's one of those very, very long tail investments to see a return on investment. We're only just now starting to see profitable space companies. Uh, and that's after a lot of the R&D was front loaded into military and, and NASA spending. So it would have really, really slowed us down uh, undoubtedly.
But that's me arguing against my own point, which I think is something that's really important to do occasionally, argue against yourself. It could just as well be that the reason that we haven't had profitable space companies is exactly because we've been wasting money. That is a good point. Yeah, but there's that point... Like, there's no hypothetical. Also... At the end of the day, the, the real world, right? Hypothetical. So let, let's take the, tele the development of the telegraph as an example. If, if somebody came to you as, a, as an entrepreneur, an inventor, and said, I want to lay uh, two, two copper lines all the way across the Atlantic. Um, would, would, you have, would you have said yes to that? Uh, well, actually, private investors did say yes to that. Yep. That, that ended up with the development of, of, uh, of cross-Atlantic communication, for example. And this is just one example. There's thousands of examples of, of this happening in the private sector. You're correct that it wouldn't be like, oh, let's just, well, actually, maybe you're not even correct with that. Like, uh, maybe it's the case that if somebody came to a private investor, actually, I, I just want to fire a giant rocket up into to space just for the lulls. Like, there's private investors that would that would just do that out of legacy. Yeah. Uh, I love I love well, what Matthias is saying about here. It's 80 years before building the first military rockets, before the first private investors really started doing, you know, space traveling. But the, the example that, that Matthias brings up is, you know, with the intercontinental uh, telegraph um, or actually just telegraphs in general. But in that kind of uh, sense, it's easy for investors to kind of see its utility and its purpose. You know, it's very clear. It's good at sending messages a lot faster than through mail or, or on horse. Um, that's super useful. Uh, it, but in the terms of space technology, especially back in the day, uh, you know, the the need for it uh, was kind of lost. There was, you know, uh, sure it's a, the wide open space, but there's so many possibilities that it's uh, they don't really know exactly what's going to come out of it. Um, so in the sense, yeah, it's a it's a great argument that Matthias put forth. I so, like it. Somebody could have but, also come up with the idea of satellites, and then exactly when yeah. someone comes up with the idea of satellites, they're like, oh, this would be really useful. Well, I guess we're going to have to develop a rocket now. We really should go look at our history on that stuff. <laughs> See what. Um, excuse me. Go ahead. Excuse me. Uh, well, this I I was pondering this um, thought that war actually uh, is a catalyst for innovation rather than production. Like, for example, like the Turing's test. I mean, the Alan Turing developing the um, cracking the Enigma code. Since then, it became cryptography 101. So, in at the end of the day, um, we we learned the basics of cryptography due to the necessity of war at that time. No, there was cryptography so, before then. In in the one, I just want to reiterate that we're, what we're talking about here is uh, um, the but technology like, advancement. Like, we're, we we've all put forth, you know, so we've kind of reached a point where we understand that yeah, technology advancement does occur with war and sometimes war might accelerate it but at the same time uh we are really haven't lived in an age where war has not occurred yeah. um so, so this that's, is the, the... that's exactly right no one's arguing that war doesn't uh bring economic advancement what we're sort of saying is that we would have just as much economic advancement uh if there was no war it would just potentially be in different industries uh and it would be more directly aimed at actually genuinely improving the lives of you me and, and everyone here in this chat 
uh, which I think yeah. is good. And and look, yeah, I mean, for, for, it could very well be that we we would have gotten more advancement out of it that way, right? So, yeah. May 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 I inter interject like real quick also? Like um, something I'm always questioning is like, when we're investing, we also invest in a lot of really really stupid stuff. Oh, oh, and yeah. added onto that, <laughs> added onto that, like the one thing about wartime economies is that they only develop stuff that works they only throw money at stuff that is known to be good like if we the thing is we always see like we could try and develop like things that could better humanity but how do you know what betters humanity say we want to develop a cure for cancer to then realize that cancer is just not one disease and it's actually impossible to develop one cure so we just wasted Ooh. the entire resource meanwhile if you do it on military okay. spending so, so i don't i let's not go down that route because that is a very big hypothetical of what if of how to you know just perfectly assessing what okay. we should be spending stuff on which kind of gets back to the whole point of uh the technological advancement uh it, it let's not let's not go yeah. down that route because don't, that's you just gonna have to, don't you have to question the understanding of how we advance in society for example here in australia with the csro a lot of their inventions weren't meaningly there wasn't the, the purpose wasn't what was planned for it. For example, with Wi-Fi, when that was developed here, they didn't realise it'd be used for that. It had different purposes and with scientific understandings that often just accidents from people messing around. So perhaps maybe we, without war, then we might have honed our scientific skills with economy, with just economic matters better. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really good point. And that's at the core of it. Um, that effectively the argument is, yes, war does lead to technical innovation, but a lack of war where we wouldn't have to invest into all this other stuff that in the hope that you know some of it is actually good for civilian applications, we could instead invest it entirely into civilian applications which would give us a much better quality of life. Because realistically, military R&Ds, you know, occasionally it has something that's a good spin-off. Occasionally we can turn an intercontinental ballistic missile into, um, you know, a Saturn V rocket. Occasionally we can turn this military communications network into the internet. But uh, a lot of the time that's all just sort of spent on making better bombs to blow people up more efficiently. Whereas if we redirected a lot of this research into things that have the goal of genuinely improving the quality of lives of our citizens, normally through corporations, you know, um, that are incentivized through a profit motive, we would be a lot further ahead. So, um, yeah, and I think for the most part, most of what the discussion's sort of been on has kind of agreed with that, that general sentiment. Did you say a profit motive? No. Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, Wait. Oh. Okay. That that's well. A lot of these things went so. Just sort of diverging a little off, a wall funding. When governments do fund things, a lot of the time they don't. A lot of these things don't appear, especially in science, to have profit. This is like, for example, if you know more about the CSIRO uh, before Julie Gillard when she cut funding to the CSIRO. 
Yes, of course. There, there are um, government agencies that conduct research and development projects of their own and government-funded and non-for-profit uh, research bodies. But uh, a large majority of research and development done in the world today uh, is done through you know, military, but primarily private institutions that are developing better products that they're going to be able to sell for more money. Um, Additionally, the government does have, uh, you know, agencies like research institutions that are government funded, but their purpose isn't to develop weapons technology. Like, let's, have... let's be clear that, that those these do exist. And so the government is funding and funding these. Uh, but um, yeah, there's like DARPA, which came up with the Internet. And um, but yeah, there's, but a, there's a big difference are, that, that between different. DARPA and uh, say your average government funded program. And if it's at DARPA, if they don't get anywhere with an idea within two years, they cut it. They just completely get rid of it and they move on to something else. Yeah. Which is why they've come up with so much um, crazy stuff. Like they've come up with uh, a GPS. You know, um, they also came up with like uh, the jet engine, for example. Yeah. But it's the <laughs> because they don't run like a government program. They don't run with. Uh, with your uh, layers and layers yeah. and layers of bureaucracy <laughs> and spending you've, 10 years on one terrible project. You've never seen the inside of a government agency. Oh, man. it's No, they're yeah, run like a government um, agency. They yeah. are absolutely, they have so much bureaucracy. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, that bureaucracy is, you know, contributing to uh, technological advancement. So it's a... Uh, but it still runs like a government agency and that still have <laughs> God knows how many layers of red tech. Oh, good lord. Okay, uh, thank you, Cletus. All right, someone had a question that was very required in there. Can I add to that point or uh, have a question as well? Have Have you seen the clip of Mark Blythe talking about uh, when the iPhone was invented? Most of the components were originally invented by government agencies. And there's an argument to be made that without war coming along and governments needing to sort of take control of everything and uh, push all of the resources towards investment in a long-term way, that private com companies wouldn't do that because they're more focused on short-term goals. So there's, an, there's a role for government here, and the fact that the government took control of almost all of the economy uh, did show technological advancement. So what do you think about that? There, there, is, uh, there is an argument to be made, especially in the, the, the time frame. Uh, go, you know, uh, corporations that are driven by profit motive uh, tend to be driven by you know, something at least within the next five years. And outside of that... Yeah. Um, you know, realistically, unless they have a business plan that sort of facilitates like long-term growth, uh, they really want to see something that's going to give them a return on investment, either with cash or with growth within a, sort of a five-year period. So there probably is a lot to be said for someone that is, you know, that there are projects there that are going to take more than five years to develop that just may not get the funding through private industry uh, and do need something like government. Now... I mean, this is the purpose of like um, quality educational institutions, like... Like Good universities, universities, right? Yeah, like yeah, universities, there are you other have, institutions. You do have private, do. you do have private companies that do this. Um, key example: Xerox Park. Yeah, and I mean, I think, um, I think, if it wasn't for that, there probably would be institutions that have sort of a longer stream because there would be sort of a, a gap in the market there. Uh, but you know, sort of realistically, in the world we live in. Uh, oftentimes, it's much, much easier to piggyback off the technical advancements of people that have already put the research and development into it uh, and are offering you the technology for free. You know, obviously, you know, the iPhone, I haven't seen that argument, but it sounds like it would be something that, that was theoretically true. Uh, obviously, there are lots of very advanced components into a, a, you know, a system like that. Uh, and then, you know, I suppose the most sort of poignant example that I can think of is something like SpaceX. 
you know, obviously they're a profitable company uh, nowadays that, you know, are sort of really heavily pushing the advancement of space travel. But uh, a lot of their technology is sort of piggybacking off, uh, you know, the advancements that have been made through the military, through NASA and things of that nature. So it's a really, it's a really uh, it's an interesting one. And the thing is. about the iPhone specifically, by the way, is not, it's not entirely true either way. Like one of the most important components that uh, was necessary for, for like cell phones to be developed was the miniaturization of MOSFETs, and that that was developed by private industry. Mm. There you go. I mean, it, it's obviously something that you could argue uh, one way or the other, and I think we could sort of sit here and talk endlessly about this particular product or that particular <laughs> product or space travel or this that or anything else, and who the hell is hitting themselves over the head with their microphone? If a if a space space project is long term and very expensive. And of course, a private firm might think twice before making that project, even though it benefits the people. But so they must take a loan from a bank that was that would be pretty expensive, and the government can uh, guarantee for some of that loan, and that way benefit the private industry and everyone. It's why SpaceX isn't floated on the market. That's why Elon Musk keeps it to himself because he can run it on his own without short-term profit. Yeah, and, and he has a and he has a uh, uh, an incentive to he he wants to get to Mars. I think is his primary motivation, not sort of make it a very profitable company. Yeah, actually, but uh, and if you if you recall about X, uh, SpaceX, uh, when you have the contract with NASA, and one of key important positions in the contract, you can only have American scientists or engineers to work in the SpaceX, and also. He, Technology itself kind of being bound into America only doesn't being shared around the world, but you can use the company. Yeah, I'm not Can surprised I... as there's probably restrictions on him. And at the end of the day, obviously, there's a lot of give and take uh, with SpaceX and, and government agencies. I'm sure they, you know, deliver contracts and, and also, you know, they, they use things like uh, that, uh, this, uh, like landing pad and stuff like that in uh, in Florida. I don't know what it's called, the the space center in in Florida. So um, yeah, obviously there's a, there's a bit of give and take there, but that, that's not necessarily the argument. Now technology, I think. Um, look, uh, at the end of the day, I hope this this argument back and forth has been potentially enlightening to uh, some participants in the discussion that weren't sort of heavily leaning one way or the other. I think it's probably inevitable that. Um, look, if you did have a strong opinion on the subject one way or the other, um, no arguments is going to ever change your mind. It's just one of those things that sort of evolves. Um, but I did want to talk about, before we get completely off topic, um, the last one, which was sort of actually the second point, which is dead money, uh, which is the argument that, look, if, you know, a peacetime military, you know, if employing 2 million people into an armed forces um, is effectively some type of welfare, are there better things that we could be spending the money on uh, or are there better ways to deliver direct stimulus to uh, society rather than sort of employing people through a military or is it something where you know what we kind of have to do it anyway so we may as well get the most out of it what's your guys opinion on that we don't, we don't have to do it and the best way to stimulate the economy is by letting people save money so uh, as a based someone develops something in a country they kind of look at their safest place that can be developed in so when you have a strong army like for example america some countries just assume like if you go there you will be protected by the by the geographical stuff and for the for the uh, army stuff military stuff because they are the best 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 uh, military in the what, military okay. in the country 
That's an interesting all, argument. So, so you, you're arguing that a lot of countries would set up shop in America because it has this, uh, well, it's safe. You know, it's, it's safe because of their military. Uh, does anyone agree or disagree with that? Because uh, I don't even know how yeah, I sort of feel about that. Uh, it's, I, would, I would disagree because it, 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 when companies set up the stuff, they don't necessarily just take into account, like, uh, defense. Uh, another thing that they would take into account is the laws of the land. If the country is more uh, favorable to doing business um, and kind of so the United States has a long history of, of protection of property rights and protection of business rights and um, also protection of uh, intellectual property. Uh, we have a, a court system is, is set up uh, to help, um, you know, crack down on, on cases where a person is threatening a company or is uh, doing something that could jeopardize um like the safety yeah. of the of the clients and and all that uh we have um these types of of laws that just basically promote uh business and and trade um and they're more robust than a lot of other countries um where there is sent where there's what we call sovereign risk which is the case that your business today could not be here might not be there tomorrow because uh the nation just simply does not want it anymore um in the case uh you know uh countries um like venezuela i don't want to use venezuela but i'll go ahead and do it um which can which could uh claim yeah let's okay let's do russia russia doesn't have the most favorable uh laws uh for protecting business if you're a small corporate if you're a small corporation just getting started up and uh you know someone comes around and harasses you for uh all of your money you're probably not going to see your day in court you're probably going to go bankrupt uh, meanwhile, if you are an oligarch, you have lots of money, the court is heavily weighted in your favor, whereas you're in the United States. As long as you have a good lawyer, the court is weighted in the favor of the good lawyer. And a good lawyer doesn't always cost a whole lot of money. But that's For example, the side. And, um, uh, so I was asking about co cooperation that's come to America. I think the main, uh, the main issue here is when... It's not just America, but the military itself. It's also about the dollar that was being extremely helpful in international transactions. Yes, yes, there's that. So it's, it's not, but it's, but uh, that would just be one minor uh, part. So when I um, was in grad school and learning about, you know, what business decisions and and, and they make, um, that wasn't even uh, mentioned. Um, like the idea of, of defense might be wrapped up within the idea of uh, sovereign security. Um, you know, for instance, we were looking at companies uh, getting started in um, Argentina, and it's just it's extremely risky to set up uh, you know shop in Argentina because of currency risk, and there's also uh, sovereign risk where the government you don't know what the government's going to do, um, even if the corporation is is set up within a, a local uh, it's you know it's managed by. Uh, local nationals. It's uh, run by local nationals. It's owned by local nationals. It's still not enough because there's there's a lot of risk um, that goes into it. And some so, of the things that you got to look at for are well, uh, is, is what we call sovereign risk, uh, currency risk, um, just profitability risk. Um, e, what are some other ones? What am I? Market yeah, risk. If, if you look at market risk. If you look at Saudi Arabia, it's entirely possible that so many oil companies wouldn't set up there unless they were America's best friend. Because I don't think anyone's going to get to Saudi Arabia with the American military at their back. Um, 
Like, sorry, uh, I'm kind of confused by what you Saudi mean. Because, uh, nobody would stand up in Saudi because uh, American military is not their back. Yeah, no one can set up an oil operation in Saudi Arabia at all. Nobody is allowed to. Saudi Arabia owns exclusive rights to their oil fields. And everything oh, is nationalized. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, so you can't... Good you can't old just Saudi go Aramco. And, yeah. Hey, you should have watched my video. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't. Watch the video. Oops. So, um, no, no, they did. They floated a, uh, um, um, just equity, which does not mean you purchase it. They're not selling it. They're just smaller and selling a five percent stake. You should watch the video. So, with regard to the, using the military as welfare, um, to EE and uh, I guess Locke too, um. Would the military cutting back on benefits, which is to say in the U.S., no TRICARE or very limited TRICARE, um, no GI Bill, and um, the, the uh, administration saying to the VA, well, yeah, you can treat patients, but you're going to have to intercross them. Um, would that... Would that combined with, or, or in place of, say, uh, reducing college costs or reducing healthcare costs to the civilian market, um, would that lessen enrollment in the military? Or could it? Um, no. Uh, I, I, was, I was expecting that question to go somewhere completely different. Um, Oh, wait, where were you expecting it to go? I was expecting it to uh, ask about, like, the in economic impacts of cutting, um, you know, uh, GI Bill and uh, veteran funds and uh, and all that jazz. Yeah. I thought yeah. that's where you're going to go. Um, but to answer your well, question, we could go down yeah. would, it, would it cut uh, enrollment and participation? No. No. Because most of the people, I mean, a lot of, I mean, like, uh, you know, in a community that I'm in, a lot of the people go into the military for a couple reasons because uh, it's, you know, the best opportunity for them. They don't care about what's going to happen afterwards. They are only concerned about with what's going on, where do I get my next meal? At. And there's also, you know, a sense of duty and pride in, in doing that, um, and get to travel the world and see new places. Like, I mean, yes, and you get paid to do it. So yes, most people can, aren't concerned about like but, the after. Although, although I've heard. Although yes, anecdotally, um, yeah. in an in a cohort of uh, privates, or I guess whatever the Navy calls their newest shipmates, um, when asked, uh, anecdotally, I think like fifty percent of a, a given cohort, when asked, were like, "Yep, I'm here to, for the GI Bill," or "Yep, I'm here for Tricare," or "Yep, I'm here for uh, more economic benefits than purely, you know, duty to country." Okay, in that context, then it might. Um, but for the majority part, will we see a decrease in uh, military um, you know, recruitment? No. Um, and that kind of goes outside of the topic of the video because we're talking about the concept of uh, is the military okay. good for, for the economy? Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, I, I was really hoping when you asked the question about uh, cutting, uh, you know, spending for, um, you know, the VA and for the GI Bill, um, that you're going to say, like, what impact does that have? And I would say that it's a, it's a very negative impact, um, especially uh, 
for people who are already in the military and just kind of it's like ripping the rug out from underneath the their feet i mean they just ripped pensions last year but yeah yeah like, i know it's it, it's a uh you know i fully respect my uh their troops and i think it's it's a disgrace to kind of re- you know uh, the way that we treated our veterans especially in the united states yeah. we've done a awful job um it's it seems america only cares about their veterans while they're in the military as, but as soon as they become veterans it's nobody cares anymore sure you get your discounts here and there and people occasionally salute you but for you know uh a large number of veterans it's you know after the military there's there's nothing um so i i work with i have a friend uh who works on a project uh similar to uh adam drivers uh you know rick uh, if you guys aren't familiar, Adam Driver is the guy who uh, played um, Kylo Ren in uh, the recent Star Wars film. He, Adam Driver, is a former uh, U.S. Marine enlisted, and after he uh, um, left the military, he realized that uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities for uh, veterans, and so he set up a program to kind of help uh, veterans um, kind of transition to non-military life because. It's uh, it's 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 a, it's very jarring, uh, coming outside of the military and then going into civilian life. But most um, veterans are not prepared for it. Um, Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna like ask, like, do you know any data sets on like which kinds of military people get what kinds of jobs? Like, for example, like someone with technical experience is probably much more likely to be able to get a job than like a. I can't. I'm not. Teacher. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, like, you could Google that, find your own stuff. Anyway, I've talked long enough. And I have stayed Officers up late down. enough, so I uh, apologize to everyone. Uh, I was somewhat falling asleep. <laughs> uh, it is 2.30 in the morning here with daylight savings and everything, so I'm going to take this opportunity to say uh, good night and thanks for watching the video and participating in the Q&A session, everyone that is here uh, and over on the YouTube live stream. Please feel free to continue the discussion uh, with me gone. For the most part, I've been asleep for the past 15 minutes, so you guys didn't miss me or anything. Uh, and I'll uh, see you all for the video on Sunday. I was kind of worried about you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I, I, I won't think you anymore.